I don't have to tell you things are bad. The air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat. The best things in life are at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel belt and radios and I won't say anything. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. This is Freer, the podcast. All right. The microphones are hot and so are we. Let's talk about God, motherfuckers. <laughs> can, 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 uh, yes. I want a bathroom break. You want it right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I thought I, mean, I was going to have a minute. I didn't know it was just going yeah. well, we to come out six guns shooting here. We have been podcasting for 15 seconds, so yeah, let's take a bathroom break. Amazing. And we're back. Mike. <sighs> <laughs> How was that bathroom break? Hmm. I think I need one now. Oh, yeah, you go. I forgot. This is yeah, just going to be a, to actually a, a set of 15-second clips. <laughs> All right. So um, welcome back, guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Shane, you've been traveling all over the universe. Mm-hmm. Where have you been? I've been to Tampa, Orlando, um, the Osa Peninsula in Costa Rica, and then the Dominical in Costa Rica. Nice. So, yeah. Sunshine. Do you want to go back? Always, every year. I think this whole, I think the Swiss are on to something, taking January off, get some sunshine. Is that what the Swiss do? Yeah, by and large. That's brilliant. They're so smart. They are smart. Yeah, not going to lie. That's, it's, it's genius. It's like, oh, yeah, now I feel charged up yeah. to get to spring. Absolutely. It's like, okay, I can make that sprint till we have the more, more sunshine and things are blooming. I'm on board. Am I mistaken or... Oh, no, I, this is true because I was talking to a Swiss doctor um, many years ago. I think most people do a year of army or a year or two of army around age 18, um, so pre-university. And then when you're doing that, maybe you're doing some medic stuff, qualifying to be a doctor. Maybe you're learning to drive a tank. Maybe you're learning to you know, do field ops or something. Maybe mm -hmm. you're learning to be infantry. And then I think if you invade Switzerland, um, their whole country just turns into an army. Like everybody has some um, ability and I think they're all, they're all like ready to go. I'm not sure. Really? I haven't tried invading oh. Switzerland. But yeah. yeah. So I they, think it's a great idea. So they stay neutral until they need to get in and <laughs> everybody pulls out a switchblade. Yeah. That's yeah, great. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's Big a great one, default one. position. Like, hey, we're cool. Don't mess with us, though. Yeah. Yeah. How big's your army? Same size as our country. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, this is a conversation that's coming up, I see, online. Uh, I guess the military just r reduced their enrollment uh, requirements. You no longer need a high school diploma or uh, a credential. Um, and so that was kind of a, a large like indication that uh, recruitment goals goals might be increasing hmm. as far as our standing army in the United States. I don't know if you guys have tuned into that. I have not tuned into that at all. 
I can see different sides on the argument because on the one hand, if you're trying to um, say bring some order and stability um, to the lives of people who, who might have not had as much growing up, then military is maybe a good way to do that because you know you get into a routine, you have a, a skill, you have a credential, you're in an organization that is you know uh, arguably functional. Mm-hmm. Um, the flip side is, we're not really doing the whole cannon fodder thing anymore, um, right? Like, we don't really need people to march with bayonets. So you would think that um, you would need... You, like, I could make an argument that the that the criteria for recruitment should go up because everything's going to be computers um, or, or increasingly would seem to be. Yeah, it's interesting. I, n- I noticed that countries with a stronger sense of uh, unity... Yeah, like uh, like we were just talking about Switzerland, Israel, they require military. Yeah, and um, so everyone uh, joins the military. Huh. And here it seems a little more fractured. It's optional. It's um, yeah. So it's an interesting conversation of like, okay, how how is that going to shift? So if technology is the primary thing, and now the military has a different function. Um, like we're not using people as cannon fodder. Now we're actually training individuals to be self-reliant or no EMT skills or some of these basic things that yeah. weren't taught in school. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's a, yeah, I'm open to that conversation and I'm curious how it relates to our key conversation of enlightenment. Uh-oh. That was a, that was a treacherous segue. I was curious about that too, because yeah. it seems like these things do have a way of weaving together somehow. Yeah. What is, what does the military and enlightenment have to do with one another? Yeah. And like men who stare at goats. Oh, oh that's interesting. Yeah. And my, maybe, uh, well, you, are you, are you got something? No, my brain's going to explode if you, yeah, I feel like Red Lake Lake is usually the good one to like really tee us off on, on these things. Yeah. That was last year. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was so 2023. <laughs> well, we've been kind of riffing. This is our fourth episode and we've just been kind of riffing and going all over the place through these. And then we seem to wind up somewhere that spurs us into a curiosity about the next time. So where we wound up on the last one was the subject of enlightenment and or God, I guess. Sure. And so we left that as a cliffhanger at the end of episode three. So it's a good time to talk about it, I feel like, with the new year and uh, all that comes with the new year, new beginnings, and how that interrelates to our concept of enlightenment and God. We got into this a little bit in past episodes, I feel like. Um, You and I, Johnny, got into it a little bit when we were talking about um, whether or not there's a creator. Mm. And I was taking Mm. the side of the engineering that's involved in everything that we see here, feel and touch is so complex and so amazing that it's ludicrous to imagine that there wasn't some sort of designer, some sort of creator, some sort of creative impetus. Right. And I took the Douglas Adams side, which is the burden of proof is on you. Right. Because you're... I'm saying there's a lot of cool shit out there and that's great. Yeah. And you're saying there's a lot of cool shit out there that's great and something invented it. Yeah. And I'm saying like, no, that's that's an extra that's an extra 
complication that's not uh, necessary. Like the universe can just be cool. And I see that as the exact opposite. So who is that? Whose approach is that? So, so I, I'm quoting Douglas Adams, who wrote the Hitchhikers oh, okay. uh, trilogy. He had this thing where he just talked about the burden of proof. He was like, if you want to say that the moon is made out of blue cheese, there's a there's a burden of proof on you because right. you're making an extraordinary statement. Whereas right. to say that the moon is made out of space rock, you know, it's like, right. okay, there's less of a burden of proof on space rock than there is on blue cheese. So in this case, why wouldn't the default position be that there, obviously there's a designer and a creator? And if you want to prove otherwise, the burden of proof is on you. I think that... You know, the scientists, the the general scientific consensus, uh, and, and it's a funny statement because a lot of scientists are religious, of course. Yeah, that um, is interesting. But the general scientific consensus is there was the Big Bang and, you know, from nothing sprang everything. And then from that sprang, you know, things accreted onto each other and we got all of the wonderful complexity that we have. And so... The tack I was taking is that, okay, we, you know, we, we have the mysterious Big Bang, fine, but at least there's a, uh, there's a way of understanding how all those hydrogen particles, you know, burst out into the universe and then they all accreted. And then it's like all of that can kind of make sense, even though it's amazing, it can kind of make sense. And so if you, if you want to, add something on top of that to say that there's a, you know, there's a person uh, yeah. or a spaghetti and meatball monster, whatever you want, who who is beyond even that level of complexity because they came up with yeah. it all. Then it's like, well, that's, that's, that's upping the ante a little bit for, for. That's so funny. How, to me, I see it logically as the exact opposite in that to have the level of design and complexity and architecture that everything in reality has, even at atomic level, especially mm. at the atomic level or subatomic level, mm. to infer that there was not some sort of a creative impetus or designer of that seems absurd to me. Like, how could something come into being without any plan without any designer without any creative impetus even the big bang if they and i th i think somewhat these things are analogous to whatever creation was and we with our little tiny human brains are trying to understand this thing that's way beyond our ability to understand hmm. but i would say to the scientist who says that argument about the big bang well okay then why was there a big bang right Right. There's the one because all of my uh, favorite thinkers are cartoonish. Um, who who wrote Dilbert? Scott? Was it Scott Adams? Adams, I think. Uh oh. And yet another, another Adams. Adams. Uh oh. Um, he has this book called God's Debris. And I believe it goes God is sitting around trying to think of something cool to do, but God is omnipotent and omniscient. So anything that God can think of to do, God already knows. And so it's not interesting for God to try to do anything. And then God says, I wonder if I could blow myself up. Um, and because blowing himself up would be like a paradox because he couldn't know the future if he blew himself up, um, God goes ahead and tries it and blows himself up. And then all of the pieces are scattered out there and they accrete into 
the, this strange thing, right? Because it was all hydrogen atoms out there. Um, and there should just be a perfect circle of hydrogen atoms, you know, or it should at least be kaleidoscopic. Like all the hydrogen atoms should match onto each other so that there would be like mirror symmetry in reality. But instead we get this, you know, crazy complexity, which which comes down to us and, and cool beards and cool leather hats. And, you know, it, it, like the stuff that there is is really remarkable. So his idea that he gets to at the end is like, we are God's debris. And, and we have this, the universe itself, as well as humanity, has this drive toward increasing levels of, you know, kind of complexity, coherence. That's what makes the most sense to me. I mean, that's what I, and I don't pretend to know anything. And I run as far and fast away from anybody that pretends to know everything, anything absolutely. Yeah, sure. I, I'm, I'm a believer. I'm an absolute believer that there's no such thing as absolute. So we're just doing the best we can to understand real the nature of reality with this brain that we have which is primarily operates as a filter really mm. we think of the brain as a computation mechanism but i i think it's primarily a filter and we make a little bit of mistake when we think that it's that we're smarter than we are and that we have this amazing supercomputer as a brain yes we do but imagine the trillions of bits of information that we have to filter out at any given moment just to uh -huh. be able to focus and concentrate and have this conversation if you think of all the information coming into our eyes right now coming even coming into our ears right now coming into our skin through all of our sensory organs trillions of bits of information are coming in and my brain's filtering out probably 99.9999999 percent of those mm. so that i can focus on this conversation and the train of thought and your eyes and so on so here we are with these phenomenal filters trying to understand the nature of what created the filter and what the purpose of the filter is and the purpose of this whole thing is but I like Having, that you said you were focusing on my eyes, by the way. <laughs> I got that. That was important to me. Oh, that's kind of sweet. Yeah. Well, now it's, it's a very Aldous Huxley, Doors of Perception. Uh, yeah. When he was messing around with, I think, LSD and psilocybin. Yeah. yeah. Um, he he kind of said, oh, we oh, these drugs seem to open up the doors of which perception. Is where, which is where the doors took their name from. Right. Oh. Not another Adams, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. So I'll just finish that thought real quick. And that is that I, I, I first encountered that with the book's Conversations with God. That was the notion of God that Neil Donald Walsh put forward there. And that was a, what made the most sense to me. That And it solves the paradox of us being all connected and being one with God and also feeling separate at the same time. Mm. That God started off as this omniscient, omnipotent thing and said, this is kind of boring. I'm going to break myself into quadrillions of little pieces. And not only that, but those pieces are going to forget where mm. they came from. Hmm. And so that so that God experiences itself through me when I completely forget from when from whence I came and then turn around and behold God and in and, and so doing and beholding myself or God beholding itself. And it's in that forgetting and in that reconnection where the magnificence of being comes from. That makes the most sense to me. I also think that still leaves the door wide open for what that creator is. It doesn't necessarily mean that uh, a minister that I used to go to, I had this great saying that God created man in his image 
and we've been trying to return the favor ever since. Oh, yeah, yeah, I like that. <laughs> so, like, we're trying to conceive of this God in some human-like form, and I think that's partly, that's part of where we go awry to begin with. It's it's funny that... We're just going to keep going back and forth that Shane never Right, we're not going to let Shane talk. Because I, I, I know Shane has no <laughs> thoughts on this whatsoever. Um, <laughs> He's probably had like 75,000 thoughts already just since we started. You and I are going on break in a minute. Yeah, I need a pee break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the God thing is funny that we need to give it a name and that everybody does need to have it be their own private Santa Claus or whatever. It's like... Yeah. Because... We, we, even what we said about the universe, like, why can't that just be the Big Bang, right? That the stuff all busted out and now we're part of the Big Bang stuff. Um, but it's like, no, we need to call it God. And and in a way, I dig it because I think it makes it relatable to us. And we, you know, oh, I want to know God's thoughts, right? Well, cool, because that's going to, you know, it's going to pan out to like being good to each other and, and uh you know, having some empathy and golden rule and all the, you know, all the nice things about most religions. I think those are, if this whole thing is a game theory, um, kind of a game, then those are the rules that lead to thriving mm-hmm. um, in that game theory game. And that's what we're trying to map out. But the, yeah, the desire to personalize is, um, you know, and it gets taken too far, right? Oh, my God, is this your God? Yeah. Is that? Let's fight each other. I think that's that comes from the filter as well, that filter that I talked about. Because in order for the filter to be effective, it has to filter out those things. And therefore, it says, never mind all those trillions of bits. This little concentric circle that I'm creating right here yeah. is the reality that I perceive. And we're going to do everything. We're going to conduct ourselves within the boundaries of that thing. Because if I were to just not create those boundaries and just continually exist in that far out parameter, I mean, we just walk around in an acid trip the whole time. Right. It's just, there's no, you can't even, I don't, so I think there's a survival mechanism there in a way that has us creating those smaller circles so that we have something that we can have a conversation about that we can work within and, or, you know navigate within otherwise it's just it's just this huge soup of complete unknown and unknowable i've I've been having some of my local doors or barriers or perceptions uh shattered lately um which is a very it's like upsetting and then it's freeing tell Um, us tell us about one of the doors that's been shattered can we let's can we come back to it can we can we give Shane a, a minute? Or are you ready? Or, or should well, we yeah, just build I mean, you up I've more? I've had several thoughts, and it's it's one of these topics where I was I was talking to a friend this morning. It's like, well, uh, I've been studying enlightenment for so long, yet I don't feel qualified to speak about it because it's such a profound. It can be such a profound subject or topic that I'm currently in the pursuit of. It's like hot pursuit, and. Um, you know, we can think about the different levels of enlightenment and and the different traditions of enlightenment. We've had this Western enlightenment, which includes like Emerson and Thoreau. And then we have uh, Taoist enlightenment. We have Christian or Abrahamic, you know, Islam, Jewish enlightenment. And we have even within Tibetan Buddhism, we have layers. We have Theravada. We have Mahayana. 
and um, looking at what is our motivation for enlightenment um, seems to be this deeper theme of like, okay, great. You want to become enlightened. Why? Yeah, why? Because I want people to think I'm really cool and enlightened. <laughs> Said like a true American right there. <laughs> I'm going to be the most enlightened person I know. That's right. And then tell everyone about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll just curl my hair long and wear beads and robes and stuff. <laughs> right, so right. they just, know, have, they'll just know. I'll have all the virtue signals. Yeah. Of, they'll of, just, when yeah. I walk down the street, they'll be like, that oh, guy looks oh, enlightened. Dude, he's glowing. He's glowing. <laughs> Look at that glow. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, just like contemplating my own motivation for enlightenment. And, um, and you know, uh, this conversation about God is fascinating, too, because I, I think some physicists said, give me one miracle and I can explain the rest. And then I think about how the Big Bang Theory was actually created by a Catholic priest. And it's almost like this fun game where it's like the Catholic Church actually created the Big Bang. And then these scientists are so overwhelmed with the concept of trying to explain the complexity that really they end up, at least for me, I, the, the, the most brilliant ones I've noticed, in my own opinion, come back to God. Yeah. So it's, it's almost like this thing where it's like, oh, it's so profound. And, and I think uh, Einstein even said, you can act as if nothing is a miracle or as if everything is a miracle. And um, so the miraculous, unlike magic, which usually magic usually implies a trick or some sort of like sleight of hand, a miracle implies like a divine um, presence or essence or intervention. And um, I was watching, I was just scrolling on Instagram. I was, I, I wasn't doing that in Costa Rica. I got back. I was like, uh-oh, I hear mm -hmm. I, I'm stuck in the scroll. Mm -hmm. But I found a great video on this This pastor that just randomly came up. And he was like talking about the reason for, at least through the Christian perspective, the presence of God into flesh was as if uh, the painter was entering the painting. Because there's no way for the painting to know the painter um, unless like somewhat like a director who, or an author who enters their own book. Um, and this has been done in several books where, uh, they see their own characters and maybe they fall in love with it. And so, and, and the, the character is lonely. So they actually interject themselves mm. as a way of comforting the, this character. And, um, yeah, so those are just kind of a few thoughts that were rambling through my head. So, so what are the motivations for enlightenment then or for being on a spiritual journey um, that you experience? Well, like specifically within the, the Buddhist tradition, um, which is one that has resonated fairly deeply, um, is and it, it kind of ties back to Christianity, funny enough, is... Um, the the lowest version is the king and so the king is like i will be enlightened and this is, kind of reminds me of the wef i will be enlightened and i will rule with enlightenment therefore you know i will take care of these people that are under my sovereignty mm. 
And then you have the captain who of the ship who's like, we're all going to get enlightened together, right? So that's higher than I'm, I'm going to be enlightened, tell other people what the enlightened actions are. So, oh, let's, let's, I'm in the ship. We're all getting lightened together. What, what is the WEF? Sorry. Oh, that's a whole nother conversation. Just what does it stand for? A World Economic Forum. Thank you. It's, it's basically a group um, that might have noble uh, intentions. Um, however, how they're implementing it is coming from a very like king or righteous position. Got it. And it's hard to employ something that universally without, you know, um, stepping on people, subjugating, people. subjugating yeah. and yeah, taking away their opportunity for personal enlightenment. And then you have and the freedoms sh- with that and freedoms. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that can't be overstated. Um, and then you have the shepherd, which is in the Mahayana, like the highest form, which is I am dedicated to enlightening all around me first and foremost Hmm. and then i can go home and eat dinner and so contradictory like there's a contrary like a contrary essence in that by focusing on the quote-unquote other which Hmm. if all is emptiness and all if everything is connected then it's just this is a part of me that i'm seeing outside of myself if I am able to bridge that and, and have love and compassion and be completely like total and complete enlightenment is being free, basically purified, or the, there's a distinguish, like there's a distinction of um, refined versus purified. So refining is actually keeping the good and then um, coming to that essence versus purifying. Like, so if you purify a negative thing, you just get more of it. So like um, if you can refine and like you said, filter and get to those enlightened thoughts, that enlightened way of being fully and completely. And you're not worried. Like I'm, if I were completely enlightened, I wouldn't be worried about my enlightenment. I'd be worried about let's let's all, you know, get there. And I'm worried about not worried. I am concerned or I am focused on the well-being of the other. So, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on that. So what are the personal motivations um, for you uh, to to want that? I want to live in a beautiful world. I want to live in a world full of happy people, of people that are not suffering. So my motivation is to remove suffering. Would it be boring or would would interesting things still happen? Would it would it still be playful? Yeah. Have you ever ever had like a fun day with your family? Yeah. Like, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Loving, loving, teasing um competitive but in a in a playful and supportive way where you're happy for the other person when they win a game yeah you don't always have to have like a shitty vacation you can actually have like a great vacation with your family and go like that was great yeah we didn't have to learn all these negative lessons like we can actually abide in this loving compassion and and yeah there might be challenging times and can we address them with awareness is there a place for trickster archetype, you know, behavior in 
in an idealized, enlightened world? Well, I'm not there. I couldn't tell you. No, I'm just, I'm <laughs> yeah. just curious. It's yeah. I, well, like this is my perception. Is like in like stating this is important for me. Is like I am not fully and completely enlightened, and so I'm giving my limited facet, not fact. You're just saying that because you think you are fully enlightened. <laughs> is that is that what's going? <laughs> They're on? not allowed to tell. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Sworn to secrecy. Yeah. Um, so I'll tell you this. The trickster has been one of, and if not the biggest teacher in my life. Right. And I love the trickster, and I am challenged by the trickster. And I have been the trickster, and I surround myself with tricksters. Mm -hmm. And the trickster for me is um, a way of checking in. It's almost like um, a way of testing. So it's like a litmus test, like... Oh, is this still alkaline mm. or is it acidic? Mm. Are you still uh, conscious and aware and enlightened? Uh, oh, oh, let me push your boundary and see if you can still hang. Yeah, you mentioned Costa Rica travel, which isn't really trickster, but it's it's maybe an example of of being pushed in that direction. You're like, oh, I'm yeah, I'm so cool. What do you mean my plane isn't here? <laughs> yeah, and having that peace and equanimity. Uh, through the process of discomfort, and um, that's a practice. See, but I, I, I'm not so sure that that equals enlightenment either. You know, I I think that I don't know. I've gone, I've been all over the map on this through the years, and I made the joke last time that I've achieved cognitive enlightenment, which was meant to be like a self-deprecating joke because if it's cognitive, it's literally the opposite of of enlightenment. But it's when you know, like, absolutely know all the questions. I, I realized on the way here, I cheat at meditation. I was listening to, like, a meditation, and, and I'm like, I can do this while I'm driving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could. I just feel like there's, look, it's, I, I think it's Eckhart Tolle who said one of my favorite quotes, which is, spirituality is the ego's favorite hiding place. Mm. And I have seen that bear out so many times in personal relationships. And I think I've, I've experienced it within myself as well. You know, like I'm going to be the spiritual guy. I'm going to be the enlightened guy. But what I've kind of come around to at this stage is feeling like maybe, first of all, the whole enlightenment thing may just be complete bullshit. It, it may just be that as human beings, that's our ego. That's our filter trying to say, if you can live within these things, within these certain boundaries or have these certain qualities, equanimity or whatever it is, that then you will be above. Then you will be well, better. Well, the so above and better thing is maybe a misnomer. Um, to even For the thought to even enter our, our mind, though, mm. uh, to, even, to even contemplate that there's some state of enlightenment that I don't have well, or that I would like to have within the implies... It's, it's your essential nature. So you're removing the obscurations from who you truly right, are. Right, right, right. Either way, though, it, it applies a here and a there, right? I'm not enlightened. That implies that there is such a thing as enlightenment. I'm not there. So there's a here and there's a there. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to do my best to move toward that thing. That whole thing right there is, I think, could be just some machination of our own human brains trying to m move toward something. And then um, 
but, so is, but, is but what, I, what I'm saying is something like a negative thing in your mind? No, I don't think it is any more than I think like I'm not somebody who subscribes to organized religions, but I also think they're really good things because mm-hmm. I tend to think spirituality and our perception of God seeks its own level. So wherever we are, we're going to we're going to find something that we relate to. And if it's if it's if it's aspiring us towards something better then yeah. But what does it all mean? Like. To me, enlightenment is as enlightenment does. It's not about what you say. It's not about what you read. It's not about your philosophies. Those things are fascinating. I love that stuff. Mm -hmm. I've spent years diving into that stuff and I'll continue to because I love it. And it doesn't make me, none of that makes me any more enlightened. I think if there's anything that I would conceive of close to enlightenment, it would just be somebody that that is a good and loving person that does good and loving things in their life to the people around them and all that that entails. But that also doesn't necessarily mean being in equanimity. If somebody's crossing a boundary or a border, is it, does it make me more spiritual to say, to just be okay with that? That's for me that, um, and I was hoping we'd get to this because I recently had a boundary crossed and I, I, I let a buddy borrow my truck for a month and um, I had three specific requests and I said, please let me know early that it's you're going to be able to drop it off. Please drop it off earlier in the day so I'm not stressed about it while I'm driving, like while I'm traveling for 18 hours or 16 hours or whatever the deal was. And um, please just drop off the key. So um my partner and I can just go home and all three of those things were broken. Right. Now does equanimity mean, Oh, don't worry about it. Right. For me, it doesn't for me. It means observing how that made me feel and also communicating that in a loving way. Hey, when you did this and these, I had very specific requests. It actually, it felt like that hurt. And that didn't feel good. And being able to do that in a, 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 I would say, like in a noble way, where like a noble gas, where I'm not charged, where I'm not trying to like hit you with a lightning bolt. It's more just this observation like, hey, I noticed when um, the three very simple, what I thought were simple requests weren't met, I felt maybe slightly, I felt disrespected. I felt like my boundaries weren't honored. And that feels icky. And, and so when I say, um, when I'm speaking of equin- equanimity, it's addressing what, what's real and alive with me from a place of, um, of balance. And um, So what's your goal in that interaction with that person? Uh, to bring light awareness to how my needs weren't met, how they might be better met, and how it made me feel. What were the consequences of him in this case? not meeting those needs and requests, how that made me feel. Because just the awareness alone uh, can possibly inspire introspection on his part. How did it, how did it go? Great. Yeah, he, he, he apologized uh, for adding a warble or a wobble to my day. Mm. And we're going to have a deeper conversation. We're going to sit down. Because there's something else about me uh, or about the situation that was triggering for me. So I want to um, have a a session of discovery of like, okay, you know, what else is this triggering and why? 
That's really nice. So the, I think this is what namaste means, maybe. Um, the highest in me wants the best for the highest in you. Or namaste is like a greeting, maybe. See, the highest in me sees. Sees the highest in you. Yeah. So, But if you, if you, if I had to name an axiom for that confrontation, that would kind of be it, right? Because you're saying... Like we're not going to let this go because that would that might not be the best thing for your buddy either. Because then the next time somebody does something nice for him and he pisses them off, then no more friends for him. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's nice. I, I like it. Yeah, I feel honored that I have some uh, friends that I can because that's almost a requirement I have of of friendship is like I need to be able to be honest with you. Like if we're actually going to be friends, yeah. Like there is a degree of rawness and honesty and I will deliver it in the the most compassionate way I can. Yeah. And I'm not willing to lie in my most intimate friendships. Mm -hmm. It's right. Or in general, like I, I have a very difficult time just glossing over things. Right. Um, which visiting family, there were certain things where I'm like, <laughs> is today the day? Another today of, is not the day. Another one of my favorite Eckhart Tolle quotes. If you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and honoring their boundaries. It's like, okay, well, I guess in this household, they don't talk about these things. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and honor that. I guess my, if I'm going to challenge you on Please. that a little bit, it's just that and I think those are all noble and good things. So I wouldn't take issue with that. That is a, a noble approach and a good approach and a positive approach. The only thing I would say is that when we start to convince ourselves that that equals something that is more of an enlightened approach or more of a spiritual approach, I would just question, is that? Absolutely. Because there, as Johnny alluded to, there may be circumstances where a lightning rod would be the most loving thing you could possibly do for that person. Mm. Because if someone's walking around in their life and they're continually crossing boundaries and they're continually being disrespectful, you know, I think it's arguable that that's not optimal for anyone. It's not optimal for that person. It's not optimal for all of the boundaries that they're crossing and the feathers that they're ruffling, the wobbles that they're creating. So, you know, it could be that the most loving thing is is a lightning bolt. Is like, what the fuck, man? That is not fucking cool. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I well, don't have the answer, a, but I'm questioning. Yeah, I love this question because it reminds me of... So in Western culture, we have one God or divine deity. And in Eastern, there are multiple. And it almost feels like there are multiple in, in these other traditions. There are multiple ways of bringing one to a more enlightened state. It might be Lakshmi. It could be, you know, Shakti, Shiva. It, there's, there's different yeah. essences. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying my essence is the end all be all. Like I'm saying this is what is helping me bring awareness to my community and my friendships. And this, this is my particular method in this scenario. Um, and it doesn't feel like a, you know, I'm not into broad strokes. We were just talking about um, the king. The king is like, that's broad strokes enlightenment. Mm. Like, this is my decree and this is going to enlighten all people. Yeah. By me being uh, acting with compassion and equanimity, I will enlighten all. No, I that that's not the full story. Yeah. It doesn't feel like the full story for me. As a parent of young kids, I like your approach because 
It's like, I mean, Blake might be, you know, punch him in the face. Like, that's going to help him remember. You know, next time he's going to fuck somebody over, he's, he's got, you know, oh, you know, my face hurts. Um, that's the language. That's the only language that some people really understand. Sure. Um, it, it, however, what if Shane was wrong and Shane didn't communicate these things and he just thought he did? You know, then the way that he approached it. And, and so I, I preface this with being a father of young kids, because between my two kids, you know, it's like, oh, she took your toy, punch her in the face. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> maybe it's better to say, look, that hurt my feelings when you took the WBBBB. Yeah. And then maybe other kids says, actually, that was my toy. You know, that was gifted to me a year ago and you were off, you know, uh, eating popcorn over in the corner. So you weren't playing with it at all. So like, no, screw you, man. Yeah. You know, and, and, and fine. You know, they get more exercise if they punch each other in the face, I guess. But but I would, yeah, I, I like the, I, I like the highest in me seeking the highest yeah. in you, but also like willing to be wrong. And you gave an example before, I think it was a street corner in Amsterdam where somebody tried to mug you and yeah. you, you gave him hell. Yeah, yeah. it's probably um, the most loving thing you could have done was like right, scream right. at the person and threaten right. them. But you, you think we should punch more people in the face? I, I think in my life I should have punched more people in the face. Okay. Yeah, I think, I mean, part of where you're hearing me come from is probably spending a lot of years going into what I would consider more like the feminine aspect of myself. Mm. And I consider that to be a spiritual thing. And I really dove into these spiritual teachers like Wayne Dyer and Eckhart Tolle and Michael Singer and... And so on, and Joe Dispenza, and all, all people that I love, and and the Dalai Lama, and you name it, like uh, the Book of Mormon, mm. anything I could pick up and read, or that what I felt would take me closer to that mm. territory, I would in, engage in and indulge myself in. And then somewhere along the line, I think I convinced myself that to be spiritual meant to be loving, and to be loving meant to be sort of okay mm. with everything. So that if someone were doing something to me that I considered to be an affront, like what would the Dalai Lama do? You know, what would Jesus do? And then it would, and then I convinced myself that, that doing nothing was the most spiritual and loving thing hmm. that if I had a problem, it was really my problem and I needed to just figure that out. Hmm. And as a result, what I did looking now that I look back was I allowed people that I think fundamentally were not necessarily good people with good hearts mm -hmm. that um, that manipulated me mm -hmm. and abused me and took things from me. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that was good for them. Um, ultimately, it didn't feel very good to me, which begs the whole question, like, what is the outcome that we're seeking in enlightenment? You know, and it seems like, and hearing you talk about your kids, yeah. is not what we're seeking. Doesn't it have to do a lot with feelings with I want to feel good and I want you guys to feel good. Right. If I can do this as much as I can to make you guys feel good and or help your own personal evolution. Yeah. Isn't that what we would consider to be enlightened? I like the tack. Uh, if I extrapolate that, I will say that we're all a bunch of sissies trying to be polite to each other, trying to be nice people who are taking of advantage of us, you know, get away with um, everything, yeah. you know, murder, lies, corruption, deceit. Um, yeah. Good part of the reason why institutional trust is at an all-time low. Mm -hmm. um, good part of the reason why we're in the political situation that we're in. Yeah. There's no... 
I, I mean, politics is different because there's a lot of rage on both sides. But, you know, in, in school, I, I go in to pick my kids up and like I walk in and like I'm a puppy dog, too. And like the kids all see me come in and like one of them comes over and tries to like, you know, this is not not even a kid I know. Right. But he kind of sees me coming in with a smile on my face and he tries to hit me with whatever is in his hand, which I think is funny because, he, you know, he weighs 20 pounds. Like, what do I care? Um, so I dodge it, right? I just move my hips a little bit and I dodge it. And then that starts the game. And then he, you know, he's going to start chasing me. All the kids are going to ch- start chasing me. But then the teachers, and rightfully so because of the environment that they're in, but they're like, kids, we don't run and jump and slap everybody. Okay. If you want to, you know, get your energy out, then we can all, you know, stand in place and jump up and down, but don't touch anybody. And it's very safe, you know, and, and again, to some extent, rightfully so, because you don't want every parent who comes in getting headbutted in the nuts. But it's a little soft. Like, it's a little like, okay, you know, are all these kids like learning that they're not allowed to play? You look at any mammal, any like, and, and like, you know, silverback gorillas or, you know, dogs or you know, whatever. They, they, they play, right? They play with their kids. That's how you learn. Um where your body is, where it stops, how it feels to hit somebody else, how it feels when they hit you back. Like, you know, so I, I do worry that we're we're making ourselves pretty soft. And then you see, you know, a counter reaction, of course, jujitsu, you know, mm-hmm. UFC, um, bare knuckle, you know, uh, street fighting, fight club, like all, all these things take off because that repressed animalisticness or embodiment is is no longer allowed in the culture but yeah i'm trying to tie this to like being overly nice to everybody and that that has its own series of risks i feel like it was detrimental for me and may i might be overcorrecting i even made that joke with somebody the other day it's like i might be overcorrecting like (laughs) i might be like the guy who like knocks somebody's windshield out with a golf club because I'm mad at myself for not standing up for myself before in my life when yeah. I should have. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's possible. Yeah. And this is kind of something that came up for me while listening to you, uh, uh, Johnny is that what if it is all play, right? So what if the person that was bullying me just wanted me to like play back? Sure. And the fact that I got hurt quote unquote, like I basically let myself perceive myself as hurt and therefore I'm carrying around this wound and, you know, I sulk away. And it was like their way of rough play. Right. Right. And because I I was, my world was maybe a little too nerfed, Mm -hmm. as I like to say, nerfing the world and, you know, oh, I didn't realize like, oh, they wanted me to push back. That was an invitation. That was an invitation to play. Yeah. 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 I had an issue with my my best friend and I. We've been best friends since we were like 17. We got cast as best friends in a play in high school, and we've been best friends ever since. We had an altercation a few months ago like we we haven't had in years, and it had to do when we got together and talked it out. What it came to was I was like, I was like, well, once in a while, we just we put the boxing gloves on and we go in the backyard and we punch each other in the face. That's just part of our relationship that's part of our play Mm -hmm. and so there was a there was a specific thing where that's what i was doing Mm -hmm. like i put the gloves on and started punching him in the face and i was inviting him into like i thought we were just because i was calling him out on something you know and he took 
great offense mm-hmm. to what I was doing. He was really hurt by my actions. Yeah. And we were in such a different place mm. because I was inviting him into play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, guys especially, I think, do that sometimes. Some guys, I don't know about you guys, but growing up, I had whole friend groups that were based on insulting each other and punching each other in the arm. Sure. Like, yeah. One, one of my favorite things to do to see if to see if I can get I'll be, you know, I'll be in some meeting or some session or some workout or something next to somebody. And I'll be like, oh, that person's cool. You know, I, I wonder. And then like at some point, I'll just give them like a little like a, a pretty gentle, but like a shove enough to just knock them off balance. And I won't say anything. I'll just stand there and smile. But it's like my way of saying I like you is to like just push them off balance <laughs> and just like, you know, it's in the middle of the instructor saying something or in the middle of a meeting. And I, I just love, you know, seeing how people react. And some people are, are like weirded out and, you know, they're like, sure. but, but that's fine. That's yeah. a you know, that's my that's my filtering mechanism. And then a lot, some people like really laugh because yeah. they're like, who does that? You know? Mm-hmm. Okay. I get it. Yeah. That's, that's maybe possibly one um, potential enlightened behavior is play. Mm. And I, I see that within play, there's not the attachment. There's not as much of the holding on to. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I really like the metaphor and then, uh, oh, sorry, the, the idea that sure. everything is rough play. Everything rough is rough play. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you, like a comedian, like, of course it is. Right. But what did you think was happening right. here? And then if you're offended by a comedian, it's like, dude, like, yeah, you're well, missing just change the, the channel. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. this is not, nobody is, you don't have, you're not strapped yeah. to a chair with your eyes held open. Like, just, yeah. So, so I like the attitude and even that that could be applied to, I don't know. Where does it stop, right? Where does it stop? Um... And, and then and it goes back to the trickster. So, like, in my life, my buddy who just basically broke every boundary I had around it, mm. that's almost a form of play. Like, mm. hey, bro, you're really enlightened? Oh, yeah? How about now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, let me ask you a question about that, Shane. Is there... So, so let's, let's, like, move forward. Let's fast forward in this relationship. Yeah. And next year, you go to Costa Rica again. Yeah. And you do, and you loan him the truck again, yeah. and the same thing happens again. Yeah, well, I'd be very curious if it did. And l- or let's say, let, let, let's let's scenario. let's yeah. for the sake of just conversation, let's say they're different boundaries. Right. But let's just say that the lesson wasn't learned, so to speak. Right. Or or the or res- maybe I could be more playful with my boundaries. Like I need a rubber ducky on my dashboard. <laughs> And that, and maybe I could be more playful with my boundaries versus yeah. going like, "Hey, bro, I don't want to see you." Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, which could have felt like a little like, "Why is he like, dude? Dude just came back from like almost a month vacation." Like, no, I'm gonna do. You know. I mean, perspective is 100 yeah. percent of reality, right? Right. I mean, where I've had boundaries crossed that have felt offensive to me, nine times out of ten, probably the other person doesn't have that same boundary. Yeah. So, you know, let's say it's somebody like B that shows up 10 minutes late and yeah. I feel highly disrespected by that. Yeah. I could show up 10 minutes late for that person. They wouldn't care at all. Exactly. They'd just be like, oh, hey, man, how's it going? Yeah. yeah. Like, because they're whatever clock, like whatever their sense of reality is, is that, is that, yeah, you know, we we'll, yeah, we'll people are late. Get here when you get here, yeah. you know? Um, so it's, it's perspective is 100% of reality, which is what makes this whole notion of enlightenment. Well, I, 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 so. I want to pause you there because is it, is perspective 100% of reality as an inquiry? I mean, I 
believe is it is. Is there an objective reality outside of perspective? To me, if there is, it's so unquantifiable mm-hmm. and so mysterious and moved so fast that it's it would be almost impossible to corral. Um, I don't think that there's... I mean, again... Going, Not that we could corral it, but it is... Is the uh, is that is there a potential possibility that reality exists outside of our perception? I have to totally contradict myself by to even give this a decent answer, sure. and that is to say that yes, there are there are absolutes, and then I would immediately contradict myself and say that is within certain agreed upon parameters. Mm. It's the only way that we can really have anything that I can conceive of as an absolute is by some agreed upon parameters because if you kick those parameters out far enough we're back to that infinite mystery Mm -hmm. like what the fuck is this where did we come from where do we go yeah is there a god is there a creator Mm -hmm. what is enlightenment i mean if i go far enough out in this filter that's in my head Mm -hmm. you know and try to see through that filter it's so mysterious and unknowable right and that even murder i i can't say is absolutely, you know, I, I could go out and play a, a mind game with myself where I say, well, if you murder me, then you and I, before we came into this life, had an agreement that we were going to come into this life and that I needed to, for whatever reason, for the growth and evolution of my soul or for God to experience itself, needed to experience this horrific thing. Mm-hmm. And it's going to feel like the most horrific thing that's ever happened to someone in the most unjust thing. But I need you to play the role of my. Like, can we agree on that? And then we agree on that. We come into this life, and that plays that plays out. So if you were to, are take, you asking? You're not actually. <laughs> no, he's I'm got a really yes serious look on his face. By the way, <laughs> this was a no. I asked him before we came in. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when this actually happens, like go back and replay this section <laughs> and just right. know, just know that on, <laughs> on the largest <laughs> level, it's fine. <laughs> but you know, I'm just saying you can play whatever mind game with yourself, and you can create imaginary parameters out there wherein you go even the worst thing imaginable if you were to kick the boundaries out far enough maybe it's okay i don't think very many of us want to live in that world i i'm not comfortable in that i'm more comfortable in the world wherein like you crossing those boundaries is not okay and i'm going to say that it's absolutely not okay for you to murder me so it's so it's both it's right and it's almost like if you accepted what is, like, oh, I accept that you crossed my boundary, it's almost like an Aikido move. Like, oh, wait, you mean I can't offend you? And then I lost my power because my power was crossing your boundary. And then, and, then the, and then the response is what determines the level of awareness I'm tussling with. So underneath all of that, what's the objective? What's the outcome? It depends if what role oh. I'm playing. Am I playing the trickster? Am I playing the shepherd? Am I playing the king? Am I playing the captain? But for you, like if you were to, you said earlier, like I'm not enlightened. I'm not going to pretend to be enlightened. Let's say you were to achieve enlightenment. What would the outcome be? If I were to achieve full and complete enlightenment, what I've been told the outcome would be, because I don't know, right, is that all beings would be enlightened because I'd be the last one out. Hmm. I'd be like, hey, all right, we did it, team. 
Good. That was a good play. Everyone back to one. <laughs> Let's do this from the top. Right. But what is that outcome? Well, I think you were trying to be specific about, do you mean if somebody attacks you and you're enlightened? No, I mean, it could be on the larger scale. I'm saying the absolute So the larger scale would probably be non-dual awareness. With any goal, there's some desired outcome, right? So if there's a goal of enlightenment, and when we say we're not, it implies that we could be. So if we were, what would the goal, what, what would the outcome be? It's the end of all suffering. The end of suffering. The end of all suffering. That sounds boring as fuck. Well, that's why you're still in. That's why we're still in the samsara is that there is a clinging to the suffering, thinking that it is somehow pleasurable. And that was kind of my question about like, is there room for the trickster in enlightenment? Because to me, that's the fun part um, of it all. And I like that we've we've generalized the trickster so that like a life catastrophe or, or, um, you know, somebody murdering you like, Oh, maybe it's just the trickster. Um, the one that I thought Blake was asking, which I'll ask now is if I were to take this mug and throw it at your head and hit you mm-hmm. and you wanted to do that Aikido move. Yeah. Where, like, is there a line somewhere? You know what I mean? Because you're going to be like, oh, that was great. Throw another one. Yeah. You know, and then have you taken away my power? Or I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm, yeah, that, cause, cause I agree with what right. you said. And it's, yeah. it's what you do to bullies, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, somebody tries to bully you and you just agree with them. Yeah. And you and turn it into a joke. And then it's like, okay, well, that, that didn't give me what I wanted. Yeah. You're not getting the rise. And so the rise is, um, as I understand it, created by friction. Right. It's kind of like sex. Like it's the magic is in the friction is in the, the rub, the tussle, whatever. Yeah. And if there is no, if there is no rub, there's no friction, there's no energy being created there. Right. And therefore you're in the feminine, uh, which is dispersing energy. Right. So it's like, Oh, and, and, and then they have to, um, ask himself, am I going to continue throwing energy in this direction that's just getting dispersed, that's actually not getting amplified or energized? And then there's a self-awareness of like, oh, I'm putting energy in this direction and I'm not getting this feedback. Why am I? And it, it depends on the level of awareness, obviously. But mm. um, yeah, there's a there's an interplay between the masculine, the feminine, the friction and the dispersion. So mug to the head. Okay, but okay, and and then I'm not gonna do it. And then it's like inv- invitation. So right. it's like no longer getting resistant. I'm going. It's almost like the Robin Hood move or or something where you're just like, bring it. Okay, yeah. great, let's yeah. do this. Yeah. And then it's like, whoa, what am I messing with right now? It was almost like with my move and the and the guy that had me at gunpoint. Yeah. I brought it. I brought him in as close as possible. Right. And now you're in my world. Right. And now you don't know where you are anymore. Right. Because you thought you were in control of the situation. Right. And I have been inviting you to throw that mug at my head this whole time. Right. And it's like, oh, God, what am I dealing with? Right. Where am I? Like, right. the game has changed. And now we're actually divine play. Right. And so, and so there's no template response to, you know, aggression or whatever. It just has to be... 
um, unique to the situation and kind of flowing with it and deciding that it is play and deciding if you're going to play their game or are they going to play your game right. or are you going to go back and forth and see. That feels like a fundamental element of if there is something akin to enlightenment, that feels like a fundamental element to me right. that any given moment um, may call for a completely different response. Which I think is the the meditation. Um, and this is where like I... I I kind of think there is something to all the spiritual, you know, pursuit and thinking and whatever, because this is, if I, the way that I understand it, this is the idea of like Vipassana meditation is that you're able to stand beside your experience. And so, whereas maybe if, if Shane had never meditated Mm -hmm. and I hit him with the mug, you know, his, his animal instincts or whatever just goes wild. But maybe if I hit him with the mug and it does, he's able to say, oh, interest. I'm feeling a sensation of pain. I'm feeling a sensation of rage. How will I choose, you know, this, is this person, mm-hmm. you know, what is the nature of this situation and how will I choose to react? Mm-hmm. Um, or respond. So there's a difference between reacting and ah, responding, right? Good. So it's like that is one of the most profound things I've taken out of uh, meditation is um, and specifically the Namchak they they taught me this it's like okay so there's there's gonna be something that happens to you did you say Namchak? <laughs> Namchak okay it's like sky bolt or something it's it's a Tibetan lineage okay and I'm just giving him a little you sounded like out. a New Yorker like Namchak you know what I'm saying he's a Namchak in my head yeah I wasn't sure we were Michelangelo yeah and so and so there's, and, and, and it's a popular concept really, um, is that there's, there's a stimulus mm. and between that stimulus, there's a moment. Mm-hmm. And if I can take that moment to rather than animalistically, as you said before, react, mm-hmm. cause that's so predictable. That's mm-hmm. like, we're, we're actually not creating, um, anything in the field that's novel or mm-hmm. divine, mm-hmm. I would say possibly venture to say mm-hmm. um, that by taking that moment and to respond mm-hmm. now I've gained agency in this matter right it's like ooh how would I like to respond mm-hmm. and 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 I love what you said before is like the noticing right okay I'm noticing I'm feeling this um, I noticed that this action where the, what are the facts how did it make me feel mm-hmm who am I trying to be in this moment? How mm-hmm. would I? How would the person I'm aspiring to be respond mm-hmm. to this action? Yeah, it plays nicely on we in episode one. I talked about free will and how maybe it has something to do with the pinging around in your brain. And so, in that, you know, if we were mm-hmm. simplistic about it, you could say, okay, Shane has lit up, you know. 10 more areas of his brain in response to that stimulus than somebody who just, you know, went straight for like the, the grapple and knee to the face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Can I bring a little bit of Michael Singer? Do it. it. Michael Singer, the untethered soul, the surrender experiment. So he talks about the, Eckhart Tolle talks about the voice in the head at, as well and Michael Singer talks about the voice in the head and then he kind of gives it a nickname of the inner roommate and Mm. uh, I'm actually writing a book right now and I'm bringing this piece into the book that we all have this inner roommate 
So, you know, I think I, I think this came up in one of the early episodes where you said that you were telling yourself something or that you were talking yourself into something. And I questioned you and said, who is doing the talking and who is the self? So Michael Singer refers to that as the inner roommate. We all have this kind of ongoing dialogue in our head. We walk out the door and like, oh, I didn't notice the blooms on that tree yesterday. I wonder if they just bloomed. Oh, what's that car doing in my neighborhood? There's this like narrator that that is that is talking inside of our head continually and he even challenges to as to as, us to make a talk as we're reading the book so like right now you can make your inner roommate say hi how are you doing like just in your head right now you can go hey how are you doing are you there yeah i'm here hey so that voice is there and it's that voice that maybe talks to us when we the alarm goes off at six o'clock in the morning and we have that great dialogue where, you know what, I don't really need to get up now. I could probably sleep another 15 minutes. Um, and we have that like inner wrestling match that goes on. So a lot of times there's there's that narrator, there's that person that is talking shit to us, that's trying to talk us into something, trying to talk us out of something. So Michael Singer would say like, okay, so who are you? So if you're having an argument with yourself, you're trying to get yourself to go work out or you're trying to get yourself to not have that drink or not light that cigarette. Mm. Like I'm trying to talk myself. So there's the I, there's the self. Subject, object, it implies two beings. So who are those two beings? And what Michael Singer says is you're actually, the what's actually you is neither one of those. It's the being that's observing mm. those two. Mm. So we have this inner dialogue going on in our head we have this maybe wrestling match between the I and the self, but there's almost like a third who is observing. Mm. What's that part of us that can sit back and hear that voice in our head say, hello, how are you? Mm. I'm the voice in the head. So there's almost like a triad that he's talking about there. These two personas that are sort of dialoguing back and forth as voices in the head. And then there's a third observer that's that's witnessing those and that and there's that witness consciousness so when we talk about all of these things it kind of if you subscribe to that it begs the question like which who's reacting to this Mm. is it the inner roommate is it the observer is it the i is it the self and that might be informed by our trauma so maybe if um uh, there's someone that grew up in an, an abusive um, home. Uh, depends on if it's mental, if it's physical, what, what type of um, what they're kind of programmed or mm-hmm. brought up to. How how what's what is the safest reaction? Mm-hmm. Some people it's shutting down. Okay, I'm just not. That's I'm sectioning that off. Some people it's to get big, to get loud, to be aggressive mm-hmm. back. And so I, um, that's the first thing that comes to mind is like, okay, what's the training? What's the specific training that individual has is likely going to be how they react. Now, how they respond feels like something we cultivate. So um, I'm observing how my reaction goes. And if it, if it goes like, oh, that, didn't, that really didn't go well. Mm. Maybe now when I'm in that situation, I can regulate my nervous system before I respond and coming from a a more regulated place might give me the results I'm I'm looking for. Um, 
So that feels like a more contemplative place. And then maybe I might go even deeper and actually study what behaviors are going to get me what I want. So uh, addressing my wants or needs and then addressing the behaviors that get me there and then actually modifying that behavior or response to get me where I want to go. Um, that that's kind of, uh, yeah, I, th- I think there's probably many levels to this and yeah, it, right. Um, it's, it's funny. It's hard to, cause you, I keep finding more people as I, as I listen to Blake's, okay, there's three people and I'm like, is there, but who, who who's the personality who wants things to be better? And where did mm-hmm. that come from? Mm-hmm. Um, classic. I suppose this is psychoanalytic, but you could think of like there's different regions of the brain that are responsible for executive function, for rage, for fear. Mm -hmm. Um, Think of each of those as a Greek god, right? Um, All the, you know, lust, um, all these different uh, order, chaos, you know, Dionysus um, (laughs) party. Um, And so just picture all of those like folded up into your brain tissue Mm -hmm. and then... A stimulus comes in and it's like, all right, you know, which which Greek god is going to react? These things that are older than you and exist, you know, have existed for a long time because they're just part of, you know, human nature and they're they're kind of built into us and they can take control of us, um, you know, depending on the situation. Um, so then, the question. So so I'm I'm adding roommates, right? Um, if if you think of each of those as a sub personality, and even the oh the uh, the scrolling when you got back home, you know, maybe it was easier in Costa Rica because maybe you were less on, you know, autopilot or less mm-hmm. on your train tracks. That you're, but but then you got home, you sat on the couch in the mm-hmm. same bum indent as you normally sit in, and then you pulled out the phone. It's like that's you know that's one of those uh, up there. So then who? Again, this this you know mysterious character who is um, choosing between these or observing them all. Um, yeah, and I I don't know. I tried to tap into it for a second. I just kind of felt like sitting here, like you know, just kind of no need to participate in the conversation. You know, just mm. that this one is like pretty chill, and like there's stuff going on, and that's interesting. Mm. And you know, why why assert right? Um, mm-hmm. Why not just you know look at the the pretty designs and yeah, is that what they call the presence or the I am? The voice beyond the voice, the, yeah. I don't know. The, well, uh, Russell calls it, Walter Russell calls it the eternal constant, the EC. Okay. Mm-hmm. Some yeah. people call it the witness consciousness. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's from which all arises and which all returns. I'm going to float a theory. I'm writing about this right now, so I'm curious what you guys think about this, is that the, that inner roommate um, is a child that was born out of trauma. And this is my own experience. I'm not trying to speak for everybody here, but I have a feeling this, this applies to a, a lot of people, maybe everyone that we have at least one of those voices in our head. The one that kind of talks shit to us, you know, the one that kind of the one that says you shouldn't have said that, or your belly's hanging over or your hair looks stupid or I don't think she really likes you or whatever. You know, there's that voice that talks shit to us. There's that voice that says that well, you can hit the snooze button another time. You know, you don't have to get up right now, et cetera, et cetera. 
my theory is that that voice is a child that was born out of whatever our particular childhood trauma was and that its main job is to avoid pain and it doesn't have a concept of the future so there's nothing there's no such thing as delayed gratification there's no such thing as um enduring some pain right now so that i can feel better after the workout or after i finish the project etc so that the the that voice in the head's primary job is the avoidance of pain and the seeking of pleasure um, this whole month i've been on an on a cleanse and i haven't had any alcohol for like a month and i've also been on a dopamine cleanse so i deleted the apps on my phone that i was obsessing over and the videos and stuff and it's fascinating amazing it's wow. fascinating to watch and notice the difference mm-hmm. and there's that part of me and what i've come to believe is it's that it's that child in me hmm. that suffered trauma that doesn't want me to feel any pain. So the moment there's any sort of thing that has to do with pain, that inner child is like, scroll through Instagram, hit the snooze button, grab a drink, have a cheeseburger. Hmm. You know, all of these things that are dopamine, little dopamine hits hmm. um, that Andrew Huberman talked about. The hubes. I was just thinking about the hubes. Oh my gosh. So what, 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 okay, so what, Part of the brain grows when you do things you don't enjoy doing. That was one of the pieces that just came. Is that medial cortex or is some mid middle Pre, part of the brain? It's not the prefrontal. Prefrontal cortex. Uh, I don't think Johnny's going to. It, gonna it started with an M. I, you know, I, I, the, I yeah, it could, could be. Uh, you know, medial. Yeah, let's. I'm I'm not a neuroscience expert, so let's just not. Yeah, sh- let, let's should, just say there's yeah. a part of the brain that grows when you. My partner Monica would know she studied neuroscience, and so I'm like usually defaulting to her, and you know, but I, I really should let these things land a little more. But I I remember just seeing a snippet on how we. This is actually a thing that older like consistently people who are octogenarians or people who are li- li- living later in life have a very developed. Uh, tolerance of pain because hmm. getting old is not exactly comfortable hmm. and it, it becomes less and less comfortable and so these uh, people have a very developed ability to address the suffering hmm. and so now what I've been doing is like my perspective has changed where I'm like ooh do I want to take a cold shower I, I did a sauna last night a two hour sauna with some buddies and um and we're just chatting, whatever. And I get home and I'm like, okay, I'm going to shower. And I'm like, am I doing a cold shower? I'm like, oh, I really don't want to do a cold shower. I'm like, great, perfect. This mm. is exactly a time to yeah. build that part of my brain. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I've been doing that too. I've been doing cold showers every day and working out every day. And yeah. The, what I, though I've been, been trying to retrain my brain to tell, to, to retrain that voice is to, is to say the resistance is the reward. Yeah. And Huberman talks about this. That, you know, when we have little those little dopamine spikes, the dopaminergic, mm-hmm. you know, spikes or whatever they're called, the difficulty with that is that every time we have a spike, we have a trough, an equal and opposite trough. Hmm. Um, so if it's the kind of spike that's like a drink or a cheeseburger or those kinds of things that I mentioned, a bowl of ice cream, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is that spikes the dopamine it's that spike is like a wave and it splashes a little bit out of our reservoir. Hmm. And so when it comes back down, our overall reservoir is lower mm-hmm. and lower. So mm-hmm. now I think about the generation, not just our kids, but all of us that are living with these constant dopaminergic strikes. There's, 
scrolling through YouTube, scrolling through Facebook, scrolling mm-hmm. through Instagram. Boom, 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 mm-hmm. boom, boom. Like that wave pool never fucking stops. And somehow anxiety and depression is on the rise. Right? <laughs> well, if you listen right. to that Huberman episode on dopamine, it mm-hmm. all makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, everybody's dopamine, everyone's reservoir of dopamine, which is our really um, depend, you know, is um what am i trying to say our our reservoir of dopamine equals our general state of being in the world yeah baseline mm-hmm. happiness baseline or, happiness yeah. and feeling content and all that yeah. so when that pool gets lowered mm-hmm. we feel anxious we feel depressed right we feel unmotivated we feel sad yeah and it's like let's look at the cost okay was that scroll really worth your overall well-being of of happiness and contentment none of it's worth it that's where i think the roommate comes in and that childhood trauma so if i'm allowing the subconsciously allowing that child inside of me to go you know what dude don't go work out man that's that's gonna be painful Mm. yeah it's gonna feel so much better to just stay in this warm bed you know yeah or you know what you're feeling lonely right now you know what would feel good go sit at the bar and have a manhattan Mm -hmm. Then you won't feel lonely. There's people you can talk to. The alcohol is going to feel good. Mm-hmm. And it does. It works for a couple of hours. Right. Short term. Yeah. yeah. Short term. It works brilliantly. Yeah. And so if you've got that inner child who's only really living for the short term, the next thing you know, you look up and how many months, years or decades mm-hmm. are you into like this fucking kid has been yeah. making running my life for me. I would almost venture to say that the original trauma is being born. You think that's traumatic, just coming into the world? Yeah. Separating from the mother. Like the, we're in this kind of, we're being fed. Mm. It's temperate. Mm. Oh, shit is cold. I have to cry to get fed. Oh, I'm now I'm old enough where, you know, I can get hurt. I can, you it, know. It's analogous to what we talked about God could be. Like, right? Like we were a part of this thing. And mm-hmm. then that was our own little mini big bang where we got sent out birthed into the universe onto our own yeah i was thinking garden of eden um yeah and then i was thinking it makes sense because i mean i I was very lucky i had a great childhood you know i was in northern canada so it's chilly but other than that i was very lucky with my family and um and yet there are still things you know like i have my own you know sensitivities or my own you know, things from childhood that um, are, uh, I have to use a different word. Uh, I can't use the word triggering because it's, it's such a, it's such a mamby pamby word, but that are, that I'm sensitive to. Um, And so like my, I I was, you know, youngest of two and um, very active, you know, go get them, do something all the time, family, which is fabulous. Um, cause it instills that in you. Um, but my legs were a little shorter and my brain was a little less developed. So I was, you know, I always felt like I was dragging people down a little bit. So I'm very sensitive to that and particularly to not, um, instilling those feelings in other people. So there's my, it's just, a, it's just an utterly, um, like an utterly un, untraumatic, um, you know, it's like, oh, we were outside cross-country skiing and you weren't quite as fast as everybody else. You poor thing, right? Like, so, so it's a very untraumatic childhood. But my point being that just being born, you know, there's, there's going to be something and that's mm-hmm. going to, 
And I think that's okay to some extent. Like I, I had this idea yesterday for a film that I would call Parenthood. And it would be like the dad is out with his kids, you know, two kids. And the kids are doing all these different things. And the, you know, dad's trying to fix the helmet on the one. And the other's running over his foot. And then the other's, you know, pooping as soon as they leave the house. And then the other is, you know, so you could have this sequence of frustrations. You know, you're trying to pull the kid's scooter, but then the kid won't let you. And just like... Look, I'm trying to help you guys. I swear I'm trying to help you guys. And you guys are just screaming and yelling and like, and then the dad would go home and, you know, maybe talk to the mom and the mom's like, how was the day? And the dad like thinks back and the dad was like, you know, it would effectively be some way of saying like, well, as you know, you know, my own childhood was marked by, you know, a feeling of not being good enough and being left behind. And my day was excellent because neither of my kids felt that they weren't good enough or that they were left behind. So I have corrected that thing in the world. And then you say to the mom, how was your day? The mom says, well, as you know, my childhood was marked by my grandfather dying of cancer. And that's why I work in a cancer lab. And so I, you know, put drops on test tubes all day and my day was great. You know, so this idea that like, there's something for everybody to do. And that, that just a little bit of that is, is maybe what, you know, got us from, um, you know, uh, killing other cave people with rocks to like sitting around here mm-hmm. podcasting. I don't know. Yeah, this is um an interesting thing as as humanity, and especially um you have an insight on this on how a, a story we're told how a story needs like resolution or like this you need this build you have to create an imbalance basically, mm. and then there's like some sort of resolution. And I, I remember Ronald Reagan, I didn't see him say it live, but there was a statement of like, he's wishing that aliens would invade so we could unite the world. And it's like, well, why do we need this really negative, in, in the case of how he was saying it, it was like invasion of the world, right? It wasn't mm-hmm. aliens coming to the world and we're all like unifying over. No, it was, we need a, a an outside threat so we can stop killing each other mm-hmm. and start killing something else. Mm-hmm. And or probably to keep the mick going and whatever. Right. And so why, like, what is it within us that feels like something needs to be wrong in order to move towards resolution? Right. And um, I would venture to say that I, I remember learning that all like so change creates suffering. And if all life is suffering then life is like changing. So just the fact that life is changing creates pain, but pain informs ad- adaption to a moment. And so we're adapting. And so pain is actually a signal. So if I'm like sitting on something that's uncomfortable, the pain is informing me, oh, maybe it's time to shift, straighten up my spine or yeah. get more comfortable. It's guidance. Yeah. It's guidance. Yeah. And so pain as guidance um, has been this this great teacher just like the trickster Hmm. and so do like what you were saying like do so if everything's if everyone's enlightened do we still need the pain and the suffering or the trickster and and this is where i kind of like that's why i'm like i'm not fully enlightened i don't i don't know why we need um the the villain in order to to feel like we can be heroes can 
can't we all be heroes? You know, like that's the idealistic yeah. part of me. And so like I would I would put this on you guys. Like what are your perspectives about um trans uh maybe um getting past this um needing an antithesis? Mm-hmm. Like can we just I don't know. I don't do you feel where I'm going at all? Like I have two answers, I think. Um Blake was making beach balls with his hands earlier, soccer ball, beach ball, when he was talking about the doors of perception and that some of our confrontation with one another comes from being locked into a smaller circle of perception, whereas if we could embrace a larger circle of perception, then we wouldn't be in conflict with the neighbor. Now, we might still be in conflict with, you know, somebody in China who has a different religion and a different, you know, philosophy of life. But but we can, ex- this notion that we can expand our circle of perception. And so when you ask about what, how we can get rid of pain, I suppose one answer is the larger your circle of perception, the less pain you experience because the fact that your neighbor um, drives a you know a, a, an EV and you don't or vice versa you know that doesn't piss you off as much you know the fact that they speak a different language than you like that doesn't piss you off as much yeah, no that's cool like other people speak different languages that's not threatening to me um, as and then I think the more that you my second answer the more that you are able to see it all as a big game so when i am getting ready to throw that cup at your head and you're like okay this is an interesting game how do i want to play this game um that that also reduces pain because you are um it's it's not as personal to you right it's not you're like yeah yeah you know you always knew there were assholes in the world and like it's not that surprising that and it's not that much of an affront to you that somebody would choose to threaten you with a coffee mug to the head and so you're like all right how how are we going to play this game let's see how this goes and i i wonder if i don't know i want to tie art in here somehow it's it, it's like if things get comfortable then do we start playing with art do we start playing with mm plays and stories and and like different representations in order to continue to challenge ourselves continue to feel deep emotions Mm -hmm. um but also to to know that it's um optional maybe maybe it's the right way of thinking of it um so i i could see a world i mean the you know, the, the Tibetan monks have this to some extent where they, you know, meditate all day and they go, they go, oh, who's going to go, you know, spend 10 years in a cave and come back and report back. And I was like, cool, let's do it. Like, you know, who's going to bring me some rice? Okay, I'll do that. Um, and like the point of it, as far as I can understand, you know, to them is like, Oh, we're just we're just fucking around, you know. They they do the mandalas out of the different colored grains of sand. Uh, I was at a conference, and you know they made this giant mandala over whatever ten days, you know, and just 
10 hours a day, you know, bent over making mandalas. And at the end of the conference, they just brushed it up. And they're like, yeah, that's that's it right there, buddy. That's life, you know. Mm-hmm. Make make something pretty if you can. It's all, you know, it's all going away in the end. Um, but it was still something to do that was interesting and held meaning to them because they chose mm-hmm. to do it. And it, and it articulated, you know, something felt by them. Mm. So if if I'm hearing you correctly, it's it's something to do, but it's not necessarily informed by the pain. It's something that they there's like this positive impetus. They're adding beauty, or yeah. it's it's drawn from them, or drawing from a beautiful place. And I almost got this vision of being really rich and having no problems. So I went to the theater to like, oh. I, I still want the catharsis of having problems, but I don't actually want to have those problems in my life. <laughs> right, right. I'm not going to bang the maid, but I'm going to watch a movie about somebody who banged the maid. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe that's existence in a nutshell right there. I mean, maybe this is the theater. You yeah. Know? Shakespeare, right? All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. What was the question? <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of go back to the original concept. I, I don't. My belief is that I don't think it's possible. I think being in the human form, and in a human body, having a mind, having an ego, presupposes that there is going to be pain. That that that's why. That's why we are in a body. And to me, the moment that we don't need pain or we don't see life through the lens of good, bad, better, worse, pain, no pain, suffering, release of suffering, we are back at oneness with whatever that original creator is. So I, to me, the notion of even being alive, if, if it's true that there was this God that was sitting around and was bored and broke itself into quadrillions of little pieces Mm -hmm. and had those pieces forget about it. That's the suffering. The Mm -hmm. inherent suffering is Mm -hmm. I forgot that I'm God. I forgot that I'm everything. So, so inherently what we're doing here is being separate from is suffering. So, you know, if you take a glass and scoop up a little bit of water from the ocean, let's say that the ocean is the mind of God and we are that glass of water temporarily. So we're going to have our own different little refraction and we're going to splash a little bit out and, you know, have whatever experience. And then ultimately, when you pour that glass of water back into the ocean, that's the merging back with the with the oneness. And to me, that's the end. If there is such a thing as an end of suffering or mm-hmm. for it to not exist that's probably the only moment when Shane murders you when Shane murders me yes which is why we arranged that before this life right yeah. <laughs> so, so, so a quick question so is the temporal like the temporary separation of that cup from the yeah. great ocean is God any less is God any more is what's in the cup God is does the is this an illusion is is that a real separation of god like substance from god i would say it's all perception it's all perception and depending on which way you want to look which door of perception you want to open mm. you can either look at that through 
the greatest microscope wherein it's all the same. Mm. Even when you scooped it out, if you look at it on a quantum level or a molecular level, you still you can't t- couldn't tell the difference before. You can't tell the difference after. Mm-hmm. It's all just little things flipping on and off all over the place. R- literally, physically, that's what's happening. If you were able to look at it under a big enough microscope, you wouldn't tell the difference before or after. And then again, that's where those those circles come in. If you take that to, you know, if you're like, okay, we're going to agree upon some parameters here. And as soon as you scoop that water out, we're sort of agreeing upon the parameter that the water is temporarily separate from the ocean. I can see that it's separate. I can perceive that it's separate. But it's all through what? It's all through the, this perception mechanism. And what's the perception mechanism? Even when we talk about suffering or the lack of suffering, we're suffering because we have these receptors. And when the receptors feel good, we feel good. And when the receptors feel a jolt, we suffer. Mm-hmm. It's all these things that are, we don't even know, we don't even know what they are mm-hmm. or where they came from. So it does seem like some great play that's just been orchestrated and put together. Yeah, it's what I'm getting partially from that too and relating back to the midbrain and 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 people who are successfully older and, and make it to that those greater ages or those um um that length of time is um is through their perception of pain that pain is not something to be avoided. Exactly. The resistance is the reward. Why do we have this fundamental belief that pain is bad? Right. That's and, a subjective belief. And so, and then, and, and then to counter that, this is kind of what I worried about when I was listening to uh, the Goggins and Huberman hmm. piece was, okay, so you have someone, because I also listened to um, uh, this guy, Nadia, and he's kind of always making fun of Goggins because Goggins is inspiring but he's also hurting himself he's mr the resistance is the reward yeah to the extreme right and so is there a middle way where okay yeah i want to push myself but i don't necessarily want to hurt myself and yes i want to push my friends but i don't want to hurt them and so you know what mindset or a perspective might i Embody because I what I was afraid of um, the implications of that conversation with Huberman, hmm. where you're going to get a bunch of people who are doing things that are uncomfortable. Great, fantastic! You're taking a cold shower; it's uncomfortable. But what about the resistance to enjoying the cold shower? Because I, oh, I, I need to build my midbrain so I can't enjoy this. And it's almost like this thing where, oh, well, I'm not building my brain if I'm actually enjoying it. And st- because it feels like, okay, I'm enjoying the shower. What, so it feels like the growth mindset is like, okay, I'm, 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 I'm enjoying the shower. This is no longer the challenge. Now I need to go out to an icy river. But if there's someone who's stuck in, oh, well, I just cannot enjoy the cold shower in order for it to, it's almost like this false benefit, false pain. They're creating a drama in their brain of like, oh, I need to like not enjoy the situation in order to like be gritty and grow. I'm afraid to enjoy the shower. Hmm. And so like, I, you know, I feel like there's like a mental loop that could be created if you're yeah, obsessed with, yeah. Yeah, or, or you know, self-flagellation is the easy. It's, oh, pain Thank is you. good. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm going to 
I'm going to do this podcast and I'm going to put Blake's desk on my, so it rests on my foot and crushes my foot with 200 pounds for the whole podcast. And that'll make me, um, that'll, that'll reduce my dopamine, you know? Uh, but then, yeah, I, I dig, I dig. So, so, so I suppose what that suggests is that there's another priority um, somewhere, you know, just the dopamine regulation is not your ultimate priority. Like, um, something about having a good life or, or yeah, not, not hurting yourself unnecessarily, um, has to fit in there somewhere. What's like, the end game? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Hey, yeah. I, I, um, let me answer that question with this question is, does Eckhart Tolle experience less pain than we do? Mm. And if so, how do you square that with the statement that like, well, everything is pain and you know, that's, that's just it. Like, is this whole spiritual questing worth anything? Mm. Um, if everything is just pain, like it's, it's been sounding a little, um, jaded, uh, to me, um, which is not something that, that I would normally affiliate with you. Say more about that. Well, you, you, unless I misunderstood, you kind of said, I think the whole deal is that, you know, we're born and there's pain. Um, and that's part of being this, you know, separated glass of water. So until we get poured back into the ocean, um, we're just going to have a life that is suffering. And, and I suppose that's the paradox, right? That once you accept that life is suffering, suffering diminishes. Um, but is there a, you know, is that it? Or mm-hmm. We're all going to suffer until we're poured back mm-hmm. in? Or is there some point to um, try to reduce pain? Yeah, I think when I said that, I meant that in an absolute sense, yes, it's the nature of being alive. But I think what the freedom that we have within that is to play with and lessen those degrees of suffering. It mm. doesn't feel good to suffer. Mm. And so whatever whatever direction we can move toward our own personal enlightenment that lessens that suffering, mm-hmm. and not in a way from numbing it or avoiding it, but genuinely lessens the suffering and brings us into a state of more happiness or peace of mind and maybe makes us more connected and loving in the world and bring more positive things into the world. I would argue that I've decided to create that parameter of Mm -hmm. reality and live within that and strive within that because that feels like a noble and worthwhile goal to me. So yeah, I would say Eckhart Tolle suffers less because I would say that he, through some experiences and, tr- and and training of his own mind has learned to live more in the witness consciousness yeah. in the moment as the observer and less as the voice in the head. Yeah. And so I, it seems like through that uh, experience, he is, he feels good. He, he laughs a lot. He plays a lot. He um, doesn't take things personally a lot. And so, therefore, he's having a pretty magnificent experience in his time of separation in that little glass of of water. And I would certainly like to have more of that and less suffering. I would like to have less of that kid who experienced, unlike you, I had like six fathers in a 12-year period. And I was around drugs and dysfunction. And like I had like a really pretty gnarly childhood. 
um, which makes a great story, and I, I'm kind of happy for it in a way. But it, I think it did create an inner roommate that really likes to avoid pain and really likes to seek pleasure. And that has, you know, been a detriment to getting me to some some more of what I would consider medium and longer term happiness and contentment like Eckhart Tolle has, mm-hmm. which is probably why I'm obsessed with people like Michael Singer and Eckhart Tolle and Joe Dispenza, because I see that they have access to this thing mm. that some part of me wants to have access to so, so badly. So Did that, that answer your question? Yeah, and it answered the previous question as well, which was, what's the point of this whole game? Um, you know, to me, it's it's that's it. like that, And that's it's almost the more interesting path anyway, because, like, I drank a lot, you know, when I was 19 and, and like, went out and partied all the time. And it was, it was fun. Like, I really enjoyed it. And then it started feeling repetitive, right? Oh, you know, the, the same guys want to go out and do it again, you know, on Thursday night, as on Friday night, as on Saturday. And you're just like, dude, like, like I literally left that behind and I went and started, I joined like a Kung Fu, um, school, uh, cause this was like around matrix time. And, uh, you know, that was more interesting, like, like learning to, to move my body and to, you know, mm-hmm. kind of be around these people who were, um, who you could spar with and who were, who were, um, going into tournaments and, you know, experiencing that, like, that was more interesting than, than, you know, binge drinking. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it's like, okay, I I did the martial arts thing for a little while, a bunch of different ones. And then trail running became more interesting because it's like, okay, that's something that I can do, you know, and, and, uh, outside, you know, sunlight, no shirt, quiet time, um, you know, reflection, enjoying nature, you know, just had a bunch Mm -hmm. of additional advantages. Um, so I feel the same way about the uh, enlightenment racket um, is that like, it's just an interesting thing to do. And the outcomes are better than binge drinking um, in my case or, or martial yeah. arts. I would say the same. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a game. I mean, this is, we call this podcast freer. And I think that's, this is the essence of freedom to me is that we have the freedom to sort of, if we're lucky and blessed enough, we have the freedom to choose what the game is that we are choosing to participate in. Right. We get to decide what parameters, what agreed upon parameters we're going to live in. We get to decide what's good, what's bad, what feels good, what doesn't for ourselves. Yeah. And then we can live and strive within those things. That's fun. I don't know. I have no idea what the absolute about anything absolute. I don't know where we came from. I don't know where we go. I believe that there is firmly that there's some form of a creator. I don't know what it is or what it looks like or what form it takes. I know absolutely nothing in an absolute sense. But within that, I do know how I feel. I do know what it feels like to love somebody. I know what it feels like to hate somebody. I know what it feels like to fight somebody, to get along with somebody. And so within those, I want to create these parameters in this game that's that's fun. Yeah. And not just fun, but also enlivening and also enlightening. And it's, it feels like it's moving towards something. Yeah. I don't know what I am or who I am, but I yeah. know that I seem to have been wired that way. And so I want to dive more into that and play with it and have and have fun with it. And ultimately, I mean, on that last day, when you take your last breath, I mean, the, the greatest success of all 
would be to in that moment to be able to say that was good sure Mm -hmm. good game guys good game (laughs) yeah Yeah. and I, i think that's what's been so inspiring about the united states so if you look at the term enlightenment some people interpret it as liberation right and so you have this personal liberation but also more inspiring is the shepherd who is liberating others and as an institution um the united states or as a concept of philosophy Mm. um, at its very core is about providing liberation for all who um, enter her borders Hmm. Um, and you know have we fallen short yes how do we continue this game how do we expand this game because there's a lot of pushback from tiny tyrants big tyrants people who want to come from the king position the authoritarian position and they're playing small that's very they're they're lacking creativity they're lacking the energy the vitality to liberate because yes it's hard to manage free people liberated minds are asymmetric they're they're not necessarily all going to turn left wait that was right oh no oh, what are they doing how do i anticipate we don't it requires presence which is the bigger game that's the maha game and so it was exciting to hear you talk about that and, and, and about linking it back to freedom and liberation and liberation from what, what are we attached to? What's, am I attached to my own suffering? I remember realizing the moment I was attached to my own story of suffering. It became my identity. I lost my father at two and a half. It's true. What I made that mean was up to me. Mm. And I allowed it to become this this story of disempowerment, of sadness, of X, Y, Z. And what did that cost me? What connections in my life? Because that spot was already filled. That spot of pain, that created this wall. But once I I saw what it was costing me and and allowing that to soften, that that boundary to soften, to allow others to enter my life, hmm. Wow, did things just light up and open up and and the game expanded. Mm. The game was no longer how do I prove my I'm a victim even though I'm a privileged white male in the United States of freaking America where things really do rock and we are so very fortunate to live here. Like do I need to play small like oh poor me. Right. I'm living in this really fucking amazing place like San Luis Obispo in the United States of America, I freaking lucked out. Yeah. I am so freaking fortunate. How about I play that game? Mm. Like, how grateful can I be? How inclusive can I be? How do I invite people into, uh, you know, this positive dimension of life? L- let Leave the victim Olympics to those who want to play in them. Right. Great. That's fine. I'm not playing that game anymore. I love victim Olympics. That's beautiful. How did you change... Did you change the story about having lost your dad, um, or does that does that well, still fit I, in? I, I will give a shout out, even though I I didn't. I was wary because they're like this. This is kind of like a cult. I'm like ah, I'm not into cults. So I don't do it. And landmark education. Werner Earhart Earhart was a total genius, and I went through their initial thing. I kind of dropped off because I, I got what I needed. I got the gold. Hmm. 
And that was the process as is, was the, that weekend where it made it like I chose, it didn't make me do anything. I chose to look at my victim story. I also, what really shifted it for me was what was it costing me? Mm-hmm. I never even thought about that. Wait a second. You, you're telling me I'm holding on to something that's costing me. Mm. It's kind of like you have a subscription going on in the background. Yeah. And you're like, I've spent how much money on this thing I'm like, that I've got no real use for? Like, yeah. what am I doing? Let that shit go. Cancel that subscription. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, wrote a letter to, um, to my father and, 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 and just really accepted and, and grieved that part of me. Right. But no longer had to hold on to the identity of the victim because the victim is stage two on the hero's journey. So do I want to get stuck at stage two or do I want to hear the call? Right. Like what, what is life calling me to do? Can I go deeper on this? Maybe. Um, what did the, generally speaking, what did the letter say? I, I'm just really interested in personal narratives. It's what I studied. Um, so there's a, I, I'll talk about the template for them later. Um, but yeah, that's my question. What did the letter say? It, it was more about gratitude. Th- you know, like thanking my father, um, th- telling him that I loved him. And then also I have a mentor in my life who was playing the father role. Mm-hmm. And that was really who I needed to write the letter to. Mm. And once I wrote the letter to him, mm. kind of accepting him as this as this father figure in my life, which I had been denying, mm. calling him my dad because he was like my dad role is like he, but not really feeling it. Mm-hmm. And then there was a moment of like, wow, he he has been this father figure for me, and but I've been arms distance, right? Mm-hmm. And when I wrote that, I cried. I just, wow, I have someone that's been wanting to, has been showing up for me, mm-hmm. mentoring me, you know, and of, of course I, I'm so grateful for my mother. So I, I don't let that outshine. My mom was both. Yeah. Right. And, but I also had this person that was showing up for me, but I was holding him at a distance because I needed to hold on to my Vic. Like, this is my trophy. This mm. is my, this is a way of me showing up with the room with still something to say, even though I'm, you know, a very fortunate white male in the United States of America in San Luis Obispo where things freaking rock. Mm. It's like, oh, well, I needed my little, my, no, no, I don't need to have that in order to have a perspective, mm. uh, uh, to have value. Hmm. Humans are innately valuable. I am innately loved and I'm innately valuable and I don't need to be a victim to prove it. And that's what I had to let myself know. Oh, I don't like this suffering. It happens. But me holding on to the suffering Hmm. that didn't need to happen. That isn't necessary. Yeah. So interesting that you play up the victim, non-victim aspect of it, because I would think of the arm's length typically being like oh well i don't want to get hurt again you know there's this person you know who and that was a piece of it right so it's like losing like my grandfather and well first i lost my dad at two Mm. and a half and then at three i lost my grandfather Mm. and um 
so and then you know in kindergarten lost my best friend mm-hmm. so there was like oh everyone in college you lost two of your closest friends right and it, it, you know by the time i was in my 20s i'd lost 33 people what yeah it, and i was like oh shit don't get to know them too closely because they might die i and but what happened was is I realized, oh, this is my life path. This like this non-attachment, this loving, compassionate, but not. It, it, at first, I was like, oh, st- stay away. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to die. Don't get to know me because you'll probably die. Mm-hmm. Kind of like weird, almost like sus- not suspicious, but superstitious. Sure. Perspective. Sure. And then I'm like, oh, well, actually, people die. And then this is part of my life path is to to be present and love as much as I can because it's all it's very much temporal it's temporary but the thing that will outlive us is the love so if I'm withholding my love because it's temporary then I'm missing the point if I'm able to show up in this temporary situation with an eternal perspective that's what's going to echo Blake I still think you need to watch out How's that for gallows here? That, what do you think was running through my head as I was talking about knowing 33 people and you've already got him <laughs> slated? Just, just I, do it quickly. That would be the easy way out at this point. Yeah, and, and let me kill the joke by acknowledging that I wouldn't have said that if we hadn't talked so much about um, playfulness and, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and the mug to be, the head. And, yeah, 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 and be, yeah, being willing to uh, uh, engage with um, what? I, I don't know. You, you know what? I, like that's the kind of joke well, yeah, you like, can't no, make unless you feel close to can someone. Can we? Can we look death in the face and laugh? Hey, old friend, hmm. <laughs> you're back. Hmm. And and to see that for me, that's been the most powerful. My my buddy John Fox, who died, he was one of my two best friends. His father came. He had cancer, and I was at his deathbed. And I've only seen the ultraviolet aura a few times in my life. Hmm. Like. I saw it with um, the Rinpoche at Nam Chak when um, like, I was in there meditating and I could see the ultraviolet aura. And then also with Jim Fox. He had entered the state, highly Catholic man, but he'd gotten to the, the spot in his life where he had been practicing being Mr. Nobody. Prayer, prayers on being nobody. Because he was entering... That's that stage where he was no longer his his beingness was no longer. And so he would take a homeless man and take him. He wouldn't just give him money for for lunch. He would take him out to lunch and mm-hmm. ask about his story. Mm-hmm. Wow. And he, he wouldn't say, and they'd ask about him. Oh, it, I, you know, it's not about me. And, mm. he, and it wasn't like this humble brag, whatever thing. It was an authentic. I'm no one. My story is ending. I want to hear about you. Hmm. I'm here for you. And so seeing that aura, like being in the presence of that was like, oh, okay. So this is a hint hmm. towards something and and someone who has let go of their story hmm. and now is the observer hmm. and is the compassionate, loving presence, the presence that I am, the 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 boundless you know, um, yeah. I, I feel like I got off topic there. No, it, it to ties perfectly to Blake to the doors of perception that we were yeah. talking about earlier and the things that we filter out. And um, yeah, I think that was a bullseye. I'm 
conscientious of time given the parameters that we have all agreed upon (laughs) (laughs) boundaries guys boundaries boundaries that we have all agreed upon no um but this feels like this topic needs another episode i think this should be part one and we can either take a pause here and continue on and break it up or we can call it and then come back and i I feel like we need uh, we need another we need enlightenment part two yeah what if we space it out so we jump onto a different topic and kind of mull over unless you're feeling hot like you got some i I feel like i want to sit with enlightenment for a bit if that's all right sure professor i I don't know what you guys are talking about So just just make a decision for the sake of the poor poor listener. Let's do this. Let's call this for now, and then we'll and then we'll decide where we go next. That was that was really enjoyable. We really enjoyed that conversation. Thanks, gents. That yeah, was thank you guys for not just the conversation, but just for the energy that you bring to it. That intangible thing. It just feels really amazing to be in the pool of like loving and conscientious energy that i feel in this room i really really appreciate that so thank you guys good vibrations good vibrations says johnny